Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Well, you found us. This is Engage 360 at Denver Seminary, and I'm Don Payne. Really glad for the delight of hosting these conversations every week. Thanks for joining us. If you've been listening to any of our recent episodes, you know that we've been trying to lean into some of the issues that are tearing at the seams of our culture, and we're trying to shine a gospel flashlight into them. Sometimes that gospel flashlight has to come from a direct angle. Sometimes it has to come in from kind of an oblique angle because the issues get so tangled. And that takes a lot of patience, a lot of disciplined thinking, not the superficial talk show analysis. But many of us face kind of an additional challenge when it comes to engaging the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel. So if you don't live in a place where brokenness or injustice or other needs are right in your face, it might be kind of easy to miss or, or gloss over those areas where the power of the gospel is really needed in order for kingdom values to prevail. Uh, for example, there are various forms of homogeneity, whether that's ethnic or socioeconomic or educational level or whatever. Sometimes those levels of homogeneity in a setting can mask some of the brokenness and tempt us to treat the gospel in sort of a one-dimensional way. And that's why I'm really excited about our guests and our conversation this week. We're going to get a couple of case studies of sorts in what it means to see brokenness, ministry needs, needs for the redemptive power of the gospel in settings that on the surface can seem like they're all together. Uh, Those settings that I have in mind are resort communities. So our guests this week are Dr. Jim Howard, uh, my longtime friend who is the senior pastor of Dillon Community Church in Dillon, Colorado, what some of us here in Colorado refer to as Summit County, and Luke Frazier, who is the senior pastor of Island Baptist Church in Beach Haven, New Jersey. So we've got two communities here who are probably about 2,500 miles apart, give or take, and yet share uh, something really common. Uh, Resort communities are an animal all of their own, but I've invited these two gentlemen to be with us on Engage 360 to talk about some of the unique ministry challenges and opportunities and what it's like to see maybe the the underbelly uh, where the gospel really is needed, but it might not just scream at us. So, Luke... Jim, welcome to Engage 360. Thank you. Glad to be here. Luke is joining us from New Jersey, so we're uh, we're thanking the Lord for cell phone connections and hope that it <laughs> hope that it stays. Okay, so Luke, I've uh, I've never been to Beach Haven, but Jim, I know that uh, in the Dillon Silverthorne Summit County area, you drive through there in the middle of famous ski resorts, beautiful condos, massive vacation homes. And you can easily get the impression, get a, get a certain impression about this place. So let, let's start with you, and then Luke will have you weigh in as well. What do you think might surprise most people about where you live and serve? 
Well, Dillon is a very beautiful place. The church is over 100 years old. The, uh, it's one of the most expensive places now to live in the country. And everyone appears to have uh, their act together. It's, it's so beautiful. They think of it as heaven. And, um, and so we have people that come. We normally have about 30,000 people in our county. We live about, oh, 30 minutes away from six world-class ski resorts. And then during the summer and then during the winter season, we jump to, we add an extra 100 to 120,000 people that come out just uh, to enjoy the mountains and the skiing and the hiking and the sailing and all the other things, mountain biking, that happens. And you would never know that underneath the veneer is a very, very broken culture with these people. Um, it's a two-class church, so we have very wealthy people, and we have people that are barely, barely surviving, struggling to make ends meet. Um, both couples probably work on the other end, the lower end. And so everything looks really good on the surface, but once you get below the surface, it's a very different world. So they're not a middle class? Very Is little that... middle class. Okay. The middle class live outside the county where they can afford it, and they drive in to work. Okay. Okay. Luke, tell us about Beach Haven, New Jersey, and your setting there. Well, much of what Dr. Howard just described would be a very fair classification of Beach Haven. Uh, as a matter of fact, when he described it as, I think he said, a little taste of heaven, uh, that's part of why Beach Haven was named what it was named. Uh, Beach Haven is the Queen Township. That's what it says right on the sign as you pull into Beach Haven on Long Beach Island. And Long Beach Island is a skinny little island off the coast of the Jersey Shore. It's about 18 miles long. Um, it was 2017 Long Beach Island, uh, specifically Beach Haven, was voted one of the top 10 tourist destinations in the whole country. Wow. Uh, and much, yeah, much like what Dr. Howard said, um, it only has about 10,000 year-round residents, but during the summer months, it swells to upwards of 200,000. So we call it the invasion here because we're invaded from all the people who live in New York City or Philadelphia or even some folks who drive up from Washington, D.C. who have summer homes here. And you're, so, you're invaded by uh, people from Summit County, Colorado, who can't breathe anymore. So they <laughs> they need a little oxygen, right? Yes, that's exactly right. And you have um, to do your grocery shopping early in the morning because the lines are way too long. They are. As a matter of fact, we, we take advantage of the delivery service for uh, for grocery shopping because we don't dare step out of our house during the summertime. Wow. <laughs> we'll never get our parking spots back. It's 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 like that. So, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, Beach Haven um, is unique on the whole island because it's, it's the family spot. So most of the restaurants are here in Beach Haven. Uh, the only amusement park on the island is almost right across the street from our church. It's, it's Caddy Corner. And so this is the place where families want to be if there is a, a spot that could be designated that on the island. Okay. How long have you been at your church as pastor? Five years. All right. And Jim, you've been at Dillon Community? How Seven long? and a half years. Okay. All right. Similar times, time frames there for each of you. What, what, what's different about your respective locations for the residents who live there year-round? Uh, those who live here year-round, um, most of them have not lived here year-round for the uh, longevity of their life. They have moved here uh, from different parts of New Jersey, different parts of the country. And many of them, uh, having spoken with them myself, uh, move here because they believe that this is where their 
they're happy places. Um, many of their most nostalgic memories uh, taken place here. Maybe some of them had mothers or fathers who took them here when they were children. Uh, and so this has become an escape for a lot of people. Uh, they People drive to Long Beach Island and many of the other shore uh, destinations in New Jersey because it offers them a, a break from reality. And so to move here would be for many people, it's like getting a little a little piece of heaven before you before you go there permanently. And so people move here to escape the hurts and pains that they think they're leaving behind on the mainland. Sounds like there's an and to that. There is. <laughs> What's the and or the but? But it's not here. When people try to make this place or any place for that matter, heaven, they always find themselves disenchanted. And it doesn't really take long. Uh, when people come here for vacation, they come with all kinds of ideas of what this little escape is going to be like. And then when they leave, they may have had a great time, but unfortunately, their problems are still there waiting for them. All the things that they thought they were going to find, most of the time, they don't find them. And so to move here, hoping that that will be the solution to the, the pains that you have experienced in life, it, it only exacerbates the problem because it isn't here. It's what you're looking for isn't found in any destination. It's found in Christ. And to help someone discover that, well, that takes a long time. It yep. takes a reorientation of the mind, really. It's kind of the Camelot syndrome, isn't it, where you, you see this place that you think is going to be so idyllic, idyllic, and then you take your stuff with you there. That's all right. of your all of your baggage, Jim. What's what's different in Summit County and Dillon Silverthorne for the people who live there year round? Well, it's very very similar to what Luke just said. They come there. Um, we have about a thirty percent turnover in our church every year, so people come and they they have a dream. It actually tells you the power of the family that they could think of these places uh, that way, almost like a little heaven. And then when they get there, it's not what they remember because now they're adults and they have their own families to take care of. So people leave our county for one of two reasons. Uh, this may be a little bit different, Luke, than what you have. They leave because of, um, similar to you, because of financing. They finance out because they just can't afford it. They can get a one-bedroom you know, apartment starting at $650,000, but they have a family. And so to try to survive in that environment is almost impossible. But then they, uh, the older population, they age out because we're at 9,200 feet. And as our doctors like to tell us, we're not made to live above 7,000. So when they get to their upper 70s, um, they typically have to start looking at lower altitudes and they have to reconstitute their entire social structure. So the wealthy people that come, they have the resources and the money to enjoy it uh, and to play all the various games that they like to play. We have a nice reservoir uh, tied for the biggest in the state. It's one of the top 10 sailing spots in, in the United States. So we have people that come to play. And the people that come there, as Luke said, to recreate something don't have those resources to enjoy those kinds of games, those types of outdoor activities. So we also have a very high suicide rate. We have people that drive up just to, uh, when they take their life, when they end it, they want their last thing they see are the mountains. And so that's a regular um, locating bodies as a regular function of the local law enforcement. Luke, go ahead. 
Ocean County, New Jersey, which is where Long Beach Island is located, has the highest um, population of year-round suicides. It has the highest opioid addiction, has the highest level of dissatisfaction statistically. Yes. And so it's interesting because people think, if I could just live, and then they fill in the blank, by the mountains, if I could just live by the beach, then I'd be, and you all know what comes next, then I'd be happy. And the truth is they come here, and it, it doesn't offer what they thought it would, and it only speeds up the process of depression in their life. Mm-hmm. It does, and they often leave depressed. It's a very mm-hmm. good point. Well, this is this is one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you two men because especially in contrast or comparison to all the th- all the brokenness and issues that we're struggling with at least in this country right now. And, and many of those as I said when we got underway, many of those are really in our faces, but for a lot of people who who live far from where all of that is um, is is really a flame that may seem very remote, and particularly in communities like yours, where people gravitate there because of this sort of Camelot um, image that they have in their minds. There's there's just as much brokenness, but it's kind of tucked between the lines, it seems, or it's mm-hmm. it's kind of an underbelly. It's hidden. It's hidden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What what are what are some of the factors that hide it that mask those needs and those issues, both from the people who are affected by them and maybe from you as well, as a pastor? One of the things is um, having resources does not guarantee happiness, and so a lot of the people that come up there with resources are still trying to find it. So they they like living on the edge. I have three people in our church that between them have 80 years of uh, Olympic experience, um, U.S. ski team experience, and they're always pushing the envelope, and that's very common where we live. They, they want to be the fastest mountain biker, the fastest hiker, the fastest skier, the fastest sailor. And so they, they live life by pushing the envelope as hard as they can, as hard as they can because they're looking for something, and uh, it, it just doesn't deliver. So they have to push harder and harder, and as they begin to age and get older— that becomes very difficult to do. So there's one area that you wouldn't see it because they're such excellent skiers, for example, uh, the best in the world. All the world-class skiers that you know of from watching the Olympics are in our county, and uh, they're up there skiing. We can talk to them and see them. So that's one area that uh, you, wouldn't ex- you, you wouldn't know how to look for it. Mm. But they're living on the edge, and so many of them go through marriages because they're living on the edge pushing as hard as they can. And so it's not uncommon to have two, three, four marriages mm-hmm. and still not find happiness. Mm-hmm. Resources just doesn't guarantee happiness. Mm-hmm. This has been a, a major project of mine, if I could call it that, since I've moved here, is understanding what are, the, what are the real needs of the people, not only that I'm ministering to in my church, but in the community that I hope to reach. And so for the last five years, I have I've done everything that I know how to try to be a student of this culture, to understand what it is that makes these people tick, what gets them out of bed in the morning, what it is that's that's driving them. And, and here's what I've learned over – I don't know how much you can really learn in five years, but here's my assessment. Ours are predominantly psychological and emotional needs, which, as we all know, that those are rooted in spiritual needs. 
And it's been my assessment that the most pervasive spiritual blind spot in this area, far and away, is in the arena of identity. And assessing this, it, it takes time to be able to hear, as, as Dr. Payne put it, these are not needs that are screaming on the surface as if, as if we were um, ministering in a, a, um, an impoverished area. Those needs are screaming to us. You can see them. You know they're, they're on the surface. Getting to the bottom of identity needs, it takes a retuning of your ears to be able to hear in people's language the kinds of things that they're regularly talking about, that the, there, there's pain underneath what they're saying. So when someone is incessantly talking about themselves, incessantly trying to uh, build themselves up by talking about their accomplishments and the things that they've achieved in life, all these talk of uh, success, uh, all these things hint at a deeply rooted fear of inadequacy. And those lead to depression, drug and alcohol reliance, dissatisfaction. And so they mask these needs by the lie of self-reliance. They, they've, many of the people in this area have come to believe that if they tell someone that they're hurting, if they tell someone that they have needs, then they're a burden on, on them. And so they are constantly putting on this mask that says, I'm fine. I don't need help. I'll figure this out myself. And it, it requires someone to really listen, almost like a psychologist would listen and try to read between the lines of, of what the, the true needs are at the bottom. Luke, how long did it take you uh, once you moved into the community to be able to see, if I can use that image, see what was going on? Well, thanks be to God, I grew up in a family uh, where these needs were pervasive. So hmm. my, my, my father uh, was uh, vice president of Goldman Sachs when I was growing up uh, back in the 80s. And so I saw the kind of a family who was had their identity rooted in money and in status and power. And so the language that I heard, not just by my own family, but by friends of our family, was very familiar to me when I came here. And it became very apparent very quickly why God would call someone like me to this area, because mm -hmm. I saw the deep damage that an identity rooted in power and status and money can do to a family. And so it, it enabled me to hear what people were really saying, even if they didn't know what they were saying. And so the deep needs that people have are all about identity. It really, truly is. So God had been preparing me for this since I was a small child. That would, that's great because you, didn't, you were not as intoxicated with that ideology or that image as you might have been otherwise, right? No, as a matter of fact, I, this was the last place that I wanted to come and no, minister it, to. <laughs> To be, to be honest with you, uh, my first application was to um, the International Church in Sulaymaniyah, Iraq. Um, I had never seen myself as a pastor in the United States at all. My wife yeah. and I saw ourselves as overseas missionaries, and I thought when I came here that this isn't going to last very long. They're going to fire me within a year. <laughs> They're not going to uh. like me. So, yes, I, I had... I had been prepared for this kind of a place by the Lord, but I, this was not my desire to come to a place like this at all. Uh, one of the things that stunned me uh, once I got up to the county where I live, when I moved there, I thought it would be largely an evangelistic ministry. I spent about 20 hours a week out in uh, coffee shops, restaurants, bars, talking to people. And uh, I knew all the demographics because I'd done the research, and only 7% of the county professed to be Protestant. 
that uh, that means that if you do the math, there's even a lot less that go to church. So I thought it would largely be an evangelistic ministry. But I can honestly say in uh, seven and a half years of doing this, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of coffees I've had, uh, it's not an evangelistic ministry. They all come from some faith background. Almost every single one. I can think of one person in seven and a half years that actually doesn't have any faith background that I've talked to. And the rest have been hurt in some way by their religious experience. And so it's really become more of a recovery ministry than it has been a an evangelistic ministry. Oh. And I didn't expect that. That was stunning to me. Huh. What's uh, what's your best story, each of you, of, of how you've had to think creatively to meet a ministry need or address a ministry issue in your area because of the type of place it is? Yeah, I don't know if I have a particular story. I can tell you this, that the uh, climate... Uh, the culture, let me say it that way, when I say climate, you think of weather. The culture is shifting so quickly. Uh, it's very, very fluid. So we've talked as a church how important it is to be agile, especially with a 30% turnover rate every year with our membership. And so um, you, you, you can pick an area of sin or challenge, and it pops its head up regularly. So right now, for example, within the school system, um, a bunch, uh, several of our teenagers are now exploring and experimenting with uh, sexual orientation because that's the big thing. Uh, that wasn't the case four years ago or even five years ago when I uh, started meeting with them. I meet with all the teenagers pretty regularly, but now it's an epidemic, and it is in the high school, and they're not allowed to say anything about it. Or you have uh, something as simple as with the um, with all the current quarantine things that are going on. The, all the safe houses for domestic violence are now full. And uh, they've asked us several times, you have a place we can put some of these, these wives because uh, the domestic violence has gone through the roof in our county. These are things that aren't in the paper, things that you can't see. So, I mean, I can think of individual stories with people, but the, the, the culture is changing regularly. Mm. And, you know, we added, as you know, we added, um, we made marijuana legal just a few years ago, and that completely changed the uh, the culture. Yeah, well, I know, <clears throat> I know from what you told me previously that that has changed the economic base in some respects of the social services and benevolence ministries. And Yes, we have a very close relationship with all of the social services, whether they're Christian or not. We work together very strongly um, and partner with them, and it's changing. So seven and a half years ago, the people that came with benevolent needs were typically people that were very poor and couldn't make their house payment. And then we went through a phase where the people that came were largely young people that were living in their cars. They came up there to ski. So they walk in smelling very strongly of marijuana. And we had to face that challenge. In fact, you helped us. How do we, how do, you know, what do we do with our resources? And now all of a sudden with the quarantine, that's shifted again. And so it's a, a shifting target, if you will. The culture is changing so quickly. Um, but high altitude. Yeah, yeah. Luke, how about you? What got a story? Oh, sure. Um, that's actually been the greatest focus that I've had since I've come here. Our church, I could tell right from the beginning, was in need of a a mental shift, a shift in the mindset of where the greatest depravity on the earth actually is. We, when I came here, um, the idea 
was that depravity was out there somewhere, that the greatest depravity uh, is probably overseas where the greatest needs, physical needs are. And so I've been working tirelessly to shift our mindset to transition so that people can understand that the greatest depravity is probably actually right outside of our door. There's a, a phrase that people have heard me say over and over again. There are people so poor on LBI that the only thing they have is money. And that's a great this, phrase. I that's love a great that. Phrase. <laughs> that. That wasn't their response when they first heard me <laughs> say it. <laughs> but it has since been adopted because it's the truth. We have masked ourselves to think that God must be okay with us because look at my resources. I must be doing something right because look at what I've been able to do for myself in my life. When the reality is that studies have shown that some of the happiest, most satisfied and gratified people live in impoverished areas. And so this mental reorientation has led to a noticeable transition in how we spend the resources that the Lord has graciously provided us. So we've transitioned from seeing the greatest needs as being overseas, where we would give half of our um, our monthly and yearly budget to overseas missionaries, to now reallocating a lot of our giving to building up our Jerusalem and reaching the people that are right across the street here, because we realize there are people that are blinded to their own needs, and we've got to do a better job of helping them. So one of the, our biggest ministries that we have here is over the summer, and we call it the 5W Surf Camp. Those five W's. Are you ready for this? Yep. Wings, waves, word, worship on Wednesdays. <laughs> so, well, you had me at wings. Wings. Yeah, we've got a really world-class wing restaurant right around the corner, and people stand in line for hours to get these wings. I'll, I'll be on a well, plane as soon as we're done. <laughs> <laughs> and one of our elders is, uh, I guess you could call him a semi-pro surfer. Uh, he's competed all his life. He loves to surf and he loves the Lord. So we have, you know, 60, 70 people come out every Wednesday night to learn how to surf from him. He brings them back to our church. We feast, we sing songs, we introduce people to Jesus as they're drying off from the waves. And it's been huge. We have people calling us all year long to ask us when the surf camp starts. And so that's been a really awesome shift for us to really focus our attention on the local community and the things that people come to LBI for. What a, what a great story. Give us the five W's again, Wings, Waves. Wings, Waves, Worship, and the Word on Wednesdays. Okay, Wings, Waves, Worship, and the Word on Wednesdays. That's great. It. For the people who are so poor, they don't have anything but money. That's right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, a little bit more of a lighthearted question. What do, what do you guys do for fun where you live? Because I'm, I'm assuming, first. now I'm, I'm just assuming that while you serve a lot of people who are pretty well-resourced, the two of you may not be quite as well-resourced as some of them. I'm just, just a guess. Luke might be. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, what, so what do you guys do for fun? So personally, you're asking, what do we do personally? Yeah. I yeah. head to the beach. I grew up in South Florida, so every chance I can get away, I head to the beach somewhere. Somewhere. I head to the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> of course. So we should swap churches. <laughs> we should. <laughs> uh, I, I like to date my wife. I really do. And uh, when so we I. have when we have time, we're, there's a lot of local places to eat here, and we just like to go out, try different restaurants, 
um, try to enjoy some of the seafood that we've never had a chance to get because around here half the restaurants are seafood. So we love to just go out and talk, uh, talk about the Lord, talk about our kids, talk about dreams we have. And that fills my tank, Dr. Howard and Dr. Payne. It really yeah, does. Luke, when you, um, we like to do the same, Nancy and I, and um, the problem is that there's no place I can go in the county now where uh, if we're having dinner, maybe three people or four people stop by to say hi because they all <laughs> right. know me. Yep. I don't have that problem just yet. Okay. It'll come. <laughs> okay. That's why he drives, when he needs to get away, he drives down to Denver and bugs me. I do. That's right. <laughs> Nancy just said the other day, you know, we should go over to Vail for dinner because that's a different county, even though it's a resort community and the people over there won't know us. I mean, I even came down to Littleton uh, and worked out at the rec center here, paid the money. And while I was working out, I thought, this is great. I'm away from everything. I had three people come up and say, hey, I really enjoyed your sermon on Sunday. And it's like, oh. <laughs> because they were up there for the weekend. They probably. were up there for the weekend, right? Yeah. Wow. Okay, Luke, you set me up for this next one already. But what's the, what's the best food that's unique to where you live? If someone visits your your town, where do they have to eat? The Chegg. The Chegg, uh, okay. No, the Chegg, C-H-E-G-G. And uh, there's, a, there's a story behind why it's called that. Um, the full name of the restaurant is actually The Chicken or the Egg. Uh, it's the place that I just mentioned with the wings where there's hours of wait. Uh, but when I first came here, I started calling it The Chicken or the Egg, and I was quickly corrected. No, 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 you sound like a tourist. <laughs> people, around here, <laughs> people around here just call it The Chegg. The Chegg, so, okay. Yes, it is far and away the most famous restaurant on the island. Um, there's an app that you download to get in line early in the morning if you plan to dine there at night because sometimes the wait is five, six hours to oh get in. Oh, my. Yeah. Okay, worth it, though. All right, Dylan, Silverthorne, Summit County. Jim? Well, this is going to sound really disappointing. It is to me personally, but we don't know our restaurants by the quality of their food. Uh, if we really want high-quality food, we go someplace else, like down to Denver. But what they're known for is the cultures that they establish. So these individual restaurants have different cultures, especially during the summer when you can sit outdoors and see mountains and 360 degrees. So in the, in the wintertime, it's very difficult to eat, be, especially on the weekend, because all the skiers are there, and they're all trying to get home. And so the restaurants are just it, you have to wait an hour to get food that isn't the greatest. And so um, uh, we have said many times, we just wish there would be a really good restaurant up there. So it's mostly known for the culture. Okay, okay. But they got good bars and burgers and pub food and all that. Yeah, I've got some pretty good so, eats up there. Yeah. We were uh, Sharon and I were up there, I don't know, a few weeks ago when I spoke at your church and mm-hmm. had a great plate full of enchiladas at the Sunshine Cafe. Right. Breakfast and Luke, and I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes I feel claustrophobic. I have one grocery store, two gas stations, five restaurants, and wherever I go, I run into people. And so sometimes I just have to get in the car and drive, you know, a ways away where people don't know who I am. That's exactly the same thing here. As a matter of fact, sometimes I rely on my wife to tell me I need to get away. Oh, yes, <laughs> I agree with that. Well. Yes. Okay, let's uh, let me wrap it up with this. Uh, give us uh, each of you maybe your top one or two suggestions or challenges for people who live in places where where needs and brokenness are not right in their faces. 
and they're trying to figure out what it means to bring the redemptive power of the gospel, you know, to the uh, to the brokenness of the world, but it's not in their faces. Yeah, one of the things I have learned, um, the finest preaching in the world isn't going to get people to come forward. And we've got a pretty good pastor up there. I mean, he's, he preaches pretty well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, tell me tell me his name. <laughs> so, uh, so Dr. Payne preached for me a couple weeks ago, and the guy that introduced him said, he's a riveting speaker. And Dr. Payne said, "Unlike Dr. Howard, no, no, I said it. Oh, I said only compared to you. <laughs> only com- yeah. No, but uh, the the uh, preaching does have an effect on the culture, but it doesn't penetrate that. What Luke was talking about that emotional, psychological um, barrier that exists, and, and these people have had it their whole lives." Uh, especially the ones that are very successful. They've had to fight their way the entire career, and they're older now. And so I've learned very quickly that to complement the preaching, that's why I spend so much time out in restaurants and coffee shops talking to people one-on-one about the very issues in their life. And it's fascinating when you, when you as we move to create a healthier culture in our church, I have people coming out my ears telling me the truth about their broken marriages and their affairs and their addictions. And it took quite a while to build that. Build the trust. To build the to trust and the culture ah, okay. where people felt safe. Okay, okay. So lots of patience and lots of coffee. Lots of patience and lots of coffee. Yeah, Luke, how about you? What's your you know, top suggestion or two for people who, who live in places where needs and brokenness are not right in their faces? Well, I would uh, echo what Dr. Howard just said, but I'd also add... Um, I described it as learning to exegete the culture. So it's a, in the same way that I approach preaching, which is very carefully looking at every word as carefully as I can, I'm trying very hard to be a that kind of a student of the people who live here. I remember the, I, I spoke with the mayor not too long ago, and I asked her, how long before they consider me an islander? And she said, never. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you weren't born here. I said, so if I live here for 25, 30 years, I'm still not an islander? She said, nope, not from the people who've lived here all their lives. And so to break through that kind of mentality and to develop rapport, as Dr. Howard was saying, it's going to require me to to listen and hear the language that really isn't spoken, to visit people in their homes, to sit and hear long stories that maybe I've heard for the 30th time and just listen as though it's the first time I've heard it. Yeah. That, that kind of thing will let people know, I want to be where you are. And so it just takes time. Yeah. You know, Luke, you mentioned the mayor, and that reminds me, one of the things I started when I got there was uh, every three years we have a kind of a community night where we invite all the leaders in, police chief, fire chief, mayor. Most of them don't attend church. They're not really not interested. But we asked them to come in and share with us, um, what are your biggest challenges, and how can we as a church— partner with you, either with resources like money or um, maybe people in our church that want to get involved, or how can we pray for you? And um, and boy, does that has that opened our eyes to another part of the county which we can't quite see. We don't see it the same way the sheriff does, for example. And so, um, you know, the fire chief just told us that um, they have now have to start wearing bulletproof vests. So they increase their budget $10,000 a year, 
And he said, we didn't become firemen to to have to wear bulletproof vests. Oh, my goodness. And so um, because of the drug situation, when we walk into a fire, they can't go into a fire until the sheriff is there to go with them. And so as we began to ask the leaders of the county, how can we partner with you? We have formed fantastic relationships at all levels, and uh, they know we're there to help them, to love them, to care for them. Um, in all the recent stuff that's going on, we sent a card to all the policemen in our county uh, and just said thank you to each one and uh, signed by people in our church. Boy, that is a great idea. Mm-hmm. I'm going to borrow it. from. I'll send you a nickel yeah. every, oh, time great, I, every time yeah. I do it. He's into footnotes, so just <laughs> footnote him in something you write, and that'll be it's okay. a lot cheaper. A lot cheaper. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you very much for your, your wisdom and expertise in your time. Luke Fraser from Island Baptist Church in Beach Haven, New Jersey. Luke's also a uh, student in our Doctor of Ministry program here, which is where Jim and I met him uh, a couple of years ago, I think. And Jim Howard from Dillon Community Church in Summit County, Colorado. Gentlemen, thanks a lot. Thank you. Pleasure. This has been Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. We are uh, grateful, most of all, to you who listen. We're really uh, appreciative of the time you spend with us and hope you'll tell somebody else about Engage 360 if you've heard anything here that is a benefit to you. Give us a rating or a review on your podcast platform that always helps as well and feel free to email us your thoughts or questions podcast at denverseminary.edu is our email address until next week i'm don Payne. take care